Good morning. Welcome to worship here in the new year 2021 at MCC. If you're online, welcome to worship here at MCC. My name is Jamie Moore. I serve as associate pastor here. And uh, we are starting a new series on the attributes of God that will run through into Easter. Um, our service design will be just a little bit different uh, today and, and for the next couple of weeks. Um, we're actually going to start with teaching and the teaching will basically function as a call to worship. So all the teaching is designed to uh, prepare us to worship God. So the last half of our service this morning will be musical response, congregational response, and congregational worship. So we'll start with teaching, and then we'll have worship. Uh, I do have one announcement that I want to make sure that everyone is aware of. Um, this afternoon at 2 p.m., we have our semi-annual congregational meeting through Zoom. So that's 2 o'clock this afternoon, Zoom. Uh, you should have gotten a link uh, in an email. If you didn't or you lost that, go to marymontchurch.org, click on the events tab on the top right hand, just click on that, and the very first item on that events tab, you'll see a link, a Zoom link. Click on that, um, we'll get you in 2 o'clock this afternoon. Uh, it'll be a 2 to 3 o'clock congregational meeting. So I invite you to be a part of that. Uh, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to start our uh, service together and start our, our time of worship. So let me pray for us, and then we'll get going. Father, we come before you, and we give you uh, this time, we give you all of 2021, that you are our Father, you are our King, you are the glorious one who we worship. Jesus, you are our brother and our hero and our Savior. Holy Spirit, you are the love of the Father and the Son poured into our hearts. You are the very presence of God dwelling within us. So we welcome you here into this place. And we give you this time. I pray for those that are here whose hearts are heavy with sorrow and grief. I ask, Holy Spirit, that you will bring peace and a balm of even joy in the midst of sorrow. So we give you this time. We thank you for the great opportunity to worship you here this morning. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Okay. So we are starting. Like I said, our teaching will go right off the bat, and then we'll have congregational worship in the back half of our service. We're starting a new series this morning uh, entitled Astonished. Astonished as we look at the attributes of God. And so I just want to kind of introduce that just slightly. Big idea of the series is this. This is a quote by A.W. Tozer. And uh, Dr. Tozer, in um, the first chapter of The Knowledge of the Holy, he writes, what is the big idea of this series? He says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Our worship is pure or base as the worshiper entertains high or low thoughts of God. That is the big idea of the series, is to say, what exactly is coming into my mind when I think about God? That's the question. When, when, when someone says, do you know God, or just says the word God, whatever enters your brain when you hear that word is the most important thing about you, is what Dr. Tozer says. 
<laughs> so this series is an opportunity for us to go th- right through the attributes of God found in Scripture and to gaze at this one. He says that our worship is pure or base, which is another way of saying it is, it is high or it is low, as we as the worshiper entertain high or low thoughts of God. So that's a question that I want us to ask. What, is, what comes into my mind when I think about God? So a couple of goals for this series. A couple of things for us to consider. Uh, number one, this is going to be a 14-week exploration, and we'll ha- it'll include Palm Sunday and Easter of the attributes of God. It's an opportunity for us to commit 2021 to fixing our eyes on the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This series will give us a chance to have increased theological literacy because this really is a a systematic theology. Anytime you talk about the attributes of God, you're in the realm of systematic theology now. Um, And I just want to encourage you, many times when we start talking about systematic theology, uh, at least some of us go, right? But the fact of the matter is, uh, when you're thinking about God himself, he, he is the least boring person who has ever been. <laughs> so if, if we're doing systematic theology and we go, it means we're doing it wrong. Okay, so we're not going to do that. Uh, increased biblical literacy. So as we look at the, these attributes, we're going to be looking at what is the Old Testament? How, do, how does the Old Testament reveal that attribute of God? How does the New Testament reveal that attribute of God? And then specifically in the atonement in Christ, how does Christ reveal that attribute? So we're going to be going for some biblical literacy, uh, tracing these themes. Uh, small group engagement. We want to cur- encourage everyone in the church to engage at a small group level. So as you know, with COVID, it's been hard. We've been isolated. We've been distanced from one another. Uh, we want to encourage folks, everyone, to get engaged and involved over the next 12 to 14 weeks leading into Holy Week. Get into a small group. If you don't know what small group to jump in on, uh, you can look on the church website. You can go to the Church Center app, or you can email me, jamie at marymontchurch.org, and I'll get you plugged in. Finally, a deeper worship, deeper astonishment as we entertain higher thoughts about God. So some goals from our series. A couple resources that I, I want to uh, throw out to you. If, if you want to go deeper as we're moving through these uh, 12 to 14 weeks, a couple of books you may consider. Number one, The Knowledge of the Holy by, by Tozer. He just, it's 14 chapters, boom, 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 uh, right through the attribute. I think it's 14. It could be 12. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Attributes of God from Tozer. Uh, J.I. Packer, I feel like everyone should read this book. Everyone should read this book. It's one of those, uh, knowing God, J.I. Packer, just buy it and read it. Uh, And then another resource, Systematic Theology, there's a a new revised edition uh, just this past year, uh, just uh, 2020, by Wayne Grudem. Um, The reason I'm mentioning these is because each of these three men, what I respect so much about them, is that uh, they're theologically minded, um, but they're, they're worship people. They're devotionally uh, centered. Um, sometimes when you read theologians, it gets a little dry and it gets a little clinical. Each of these three guys is going after the heart when it comes to theology. So uh, that's one of the reasons I would recommend each of those three. So Tozer, Packer, Grudem. Okay, that's all 
introduction. Let's get into the actual sermon itself. Uh, we're starting off, this message is entitled, The Marvelous God. The Marvelous God. And we're going to be in Psalm 118. So Psalm 118, if you'll turn there, and we'll begin. The Marvelous God. The sermon today is going to be in three parts. Uh, number one, we're going to be looking at how the world marvels. How the world marvels. Secondly, we'll be looking at how the psalmist marvels. Thirdly, we're going to ask the question, so what? <laughs> Why does it matter? Uh, what are the results of biblical marveling? And then I'll wrap up with some application and discussion questions uh, for us to discuss in small groups. All right, let's begin. How the world marvels. So finish this statement. It's a bird. It's a plane. It's Superman. Superman. You know, uh, there's something in us that loves heroes. There's something in us that loves marveling at someone or something that is better than us, that is greater than us, that can rescue us. From the greatest philosophers to even little kids playing with their toys, we have a longing for heroes, don't we? For instance, you have ancient literature like Odysseus, Beowulf, King Arthur, these characters that we look up to and we say, man, this is a hero. This is someone significant that has done something important. Or how about modern literature like a guy named Luke Skywalker, right? Or a great hero named Aragorn from Middle Earth. Or a, a fairly modern example would be Katniss Everdeen from the Hunger Games trilogy. These heroic people that we look up to who do significant things. How about comic books? Captain America, Batman, Superman, Spider-Man, Thor, Hulk, these heroic people. Now you say, Jamie, why are you talking about all of these heroes? Why are you talking about pop culture? Well, I'm doing that because this, what we marvel at, we will spend money on. Let me say that again. What we marvel at, we will spend money on. <laughs> it captures our attention. For instance, here are the highest grossing film franchises of all time so far. This is as of November 2020. The highest growing, grossing film franchise is the Marvel Cinematic Universe. $22.5 billion has been spent on this series. 23 films averaging $980 million per film. Second place is Star Wars at $10.3 billion. Harry Potter, $9.2 billion. Just, just the two Avengers films themselves are up on the list. $7.7 billion. Spider-Man, $7.2 billion. James Bond, $7.1 billion. Batman and the DC Universe, $6 billion. And then, you know I gotta mention it, Tolkien's Middle Earth movies, $5.8 billion. The truth is, we yearn for heroes. 
So much so that we will spend billions and billions and billions of dollars to marvel at heroes. In fact, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, the name of the company is what? Marvel. Like, I don't even have to make this case. I'm spending a lot of time making it, but I don't even have to make the case. The company is called Marvel. So what does the Bible have to say about that? Like, we're spending a lot of money. What does the Bible have to say about that? Part two of the sermon. How the psalmist marvels. This is Psalm 118. Look at verse 23. The psalmist writes, he says, This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Now, as soon as I read that text, we have to ask the question, what is the this in this verse? It says, this is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. So we got to define, what is this? It says it's the Lord's doing, and it says that it's marvelous, but what is this? The word this mean in verse 23. So a little bit of context. Psalm 118 is a worship song. It's a psalm. It's known as a psalm of procession. So I want you to visualize this psalm would be sung as the worshipers are processing up to the Temple Mount to worship in Jerusalem. Right, So Jerusalem is up on the mount, and this psalm is a psalm of procession. The worshipers are processing up to the temple mount, Psalm 118. Verses 1 to 4, so back up. Verses 1 to 4 is an antiphonal back and forth between a worship leader and the people. Look at it. This is verse 1. The worship leader says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Then the leader says, let Israel say, and then all the people say, his steadfast love endures forever. And the leader says, let the house of Aaron say, and the people say, his steadfast love endures forever. And the leader says, let those who fear the Lord say, his steadfast love endures forever. So you actually have at the very beginning of this song a call to worship, an antiphonal call to worship as they're beginning to go up to the temple to be with God. Then verses 5 to 18 What's being pictured here is a king returning from battle. So picture this. He's got got his shield armor on, blood-stained, coming up to Jerusalem. He has just left the battlefield where they were victorious. And now the king is coming to worship to tell God, you saved us and you delivered us. So you can read the text. Look what he says. Out of my distress, I called on the Lord. The Lord answered me and set me free. The Lord is on my side, I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is on my side as my helper. I shall look in triumph on those who hate me. Verse eight, it is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. All the nations surrounded me. You can see the battle scene. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They surrounded me on every side, and in the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They surrounded me like bees. They went out like a fire among thorns. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. I was pushed hard so that I was falling, but the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Glad songs of salvation are in the tents of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. The right hand of the Lord exalts. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. I shall not die, but I shall live. And recount the deeds of the Lord. The Lord has disciplined me severely, but he has not given me over to death. 
So the very first thing we see in Psalm 118, the this is deliverance from God. So the king is coming from a battle where they, were just, they just defeated the enemy, coming up to Jerusalem to worship God. So there's three things that they're going to say. Number one, God's present deliverance. That's verse 24, what I was just describing to you. God has delivered us from this, in this battle. This is the Lord's doing. He saved us. But there's also the past deliverance. Look at verse 23. He says, This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. The word marvelous has a very specific connotation in the Old Testament. So when an Old Testament Hebrew sees the word or hears the word marvelous, they are going to immediately think about one event. You know what that event is? It's the exodus of the people of God from Egypt. When they hear the word marvelous, they're going to think, Moses, Old Testament, we're in Egypt, and now we've been rescued, and we're coming into the promised land. That word marvelous is the same word they use for signs and wonders. For instance, Exodus 3, 19 to 20. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go. This is what God is saying to Moses. I know the king of Egypt will not let you go unless he's compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. After that, he will let you go. That word wonders that God speaks is the same word for marvelous. So God is saying to Moses, listen, I'm going to do this thing. Pharaoh will not let you go unless there are some marvelous things that happen. How about the plagues, right? How about the parting of the Red Sea? Listen, Old Testament Hebrew history is even cooler than the Marvel Cinematic Universe, if you think about it, right? There are times where I'm watching these movies. I'm watching Avenger Endgame, and all the heroes are coming in to take Thanos, and it's like, what? But can you imagine the Red Sea parting? I mean, what? So that word marvelous has the idea of wonder and astonishment. So I'm making the point that when he says that word, everyone who hears that word thinks about what happened in the past as well. So not only is it the present victory in this battle, but it's the past as well with the exodus from Egypt. In fact, in Exodus 15, they're going to say, who is like you, O Lord? Who is like you? Awesome in glorious deeds, doing marvels. Same word. You stretched out your right hand, and the earth swallowed them up. So it's important that you see, in worship, this is a worship song, the people of God are celebrating what he has done in their present, but also what he has done in their past. But then something very interesting happens in verse 25. Look at it. Then the king says, Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Does that bother anyone? It bothers me. Didn't he just rescue you? But now we're praying for more rescue. Are y'all, y'all, y'all seeing this? Now it's like, save us. What's happening? 
What's happening? He saved us now. We look back and he saved us back in the past. And now we're asking him to save us again. What this indicates is that the people of God are looking for the ultimate victory. See, they're looking forward to this time. There's coming a time. Yep, we were saved. We were saved. Yes, we're being saved. Yes. But it's not a decisive victory where everything is made right. Are y'all hearing me? Like there's, there's a part of us that goes, yes, this is amazing what God is doing, but I can feel that things are still broken. I can feel that things are not quite right. And so we're looking forward to a time where God does such a decisive, definitive, infinite victory where everyone goes, this is the Lord's doing and it is marvelous in our eyes. That what he has done now is marvelous, yes. What he did in the past is marvelous, yes. But there is something infinitely greater that is coming that will be marvelous in our eyes. Are y'all seeing that? The past, the present, but there is a decisive victory that is coming in the future. Say, okay, Jamie. Is there any clue in the text as to what that decisive victory might be? Well, let's just keep reading. Verse 26. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We will bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God, and he has made his light to shine upon us. Bind the festal sacrifice with cords up, up, up to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will give thanks to you. You are my God, I will extol you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Do you see the phrase at verse 26? Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That phrase is a very interesting phrase. In fact, that phrase over the history of, of Israel, over the Old Testament History begins to take on messianic overtones. That phrase, in the mind of an Israelite, becomes a very messianic phrase, a forward-thinking phrase. It's the kind of phrase that when you say it, an Old Testament Hebrew goes, ah, we're talking about the Messiah. We're talking about the one who is to come, the son of David. We're talking about a hero who will come and make all things right. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. It carries messianic Overtones. Back up to verse 22, we got more of it. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. All of this is about marveling. That's why I'm taking time here. All of this is about the marvelous God. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Isn't that a weird phrase? Like if you stop and think about it. The stone that the builders have rejected is now the cornerstone. Now, I'm not an architect. Like, this is not my wheelhouse, okay? I don't build things. I don't do woodworking. But I think I understand. Let's say you have a western wall and a southern wall. You need a cornerstone, right? At least in that time, in terms of building, they would find these stones, and they wanted a very specific type of stone that could handle the corner. Uh, meeting point of two walls but this text says 
the stone that the builders rejected. So there would be these stones that they would find and they would be like oddly shaped or they'd have like a weird like protrusion over here and it's like, ah, that's not gonna work. We can't put that on the corner because it's got the weird protrusion thing. But this text says that the weird protrusion one that they just cast aside because it doesn't work, that one actually has become the cornerstone by which both walls get set. Are y'all hearing me right now? Like the most significant stone that's needed is the weird one that's rejected. With the weird, right? It's not like level and square, but it's got the thing. Is that not weird? <laughs> See, this is part of why it's marvelous. <laughs> Because it's unexpected. It doesn't, it doesn't make sense why this would be. I think you know where I'm going. So let's look at the New Testament. So in the Gospels, in Matthew 21, verse 9, the Gospel writer writes this. This is what's called the triumphal entry of Jesus. It says, The crowd that went before him and that followed him were shouting out, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So on Palm Sunday, people have palm branches and they're flinging their palm branches and Jesus rides in on a donkey and everyone is singing the words of Psalm 118. Are y'all hearing me? So everyone is singing 118, the procession song about victory just being done. Now we're going to praise God for it. And they say, blessed is he. This is the one. Of course, the problem is, by the end of the week, what were they saying? Crucify him. In fact, by the end of the week, that cornerstone was rejected, right? He was actually rejected. They actually said, blessed is he. Oh, wait, that's the weird one with the protrusion. We're getting rid of it. We don't... We didn't want it that way. We wanted it level. We wanted him to take out Rome. No, no, he's got the weird thing. So no, no. The stone that the builders rejected, Israel, rejected and cast aside, has become the cornerstone. It's in Psalm 118, and it's talking about Jesus. Jesus will say about himself in Matthew 21. He says to the priests and Pharisees, Have you never read in the Scriptures... The stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Jesus is quoting this passage. He says, he says, have you never read this in the scriptures? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Jesus quotes this verse. Then he says, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruits. And the one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. When the chief priests and Pharisees heard this parable, they perceived that he was speaking about them. And although they were seeking to arrest him, they feared the crowds because they held him to be a prophet. Then in the book of Acts, Peter comes along. This is Acts 4, 11 to 12. says, This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders. He has become the cornerstone, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So listen to me. Jesus is the ultimate decisive victory of God that is marvelous. 
Jesus is the gate by which we come to worship. Jesus is the stone rejected by the religious leaders that has become the cornerstone of the decisive victory of God. He is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our sight. Are y'all hearing me? He is the marvelous one. It is not necessarily what he has done, although that is significant. He is the marvelous one. He is the one that was rejected and said, no, actually, we rejected him, but he's actually the cornerstone of all creation. He is the marvelous one. This is the Lord's doing. Jesus is the Lord's doing, and he is marvelous in our eyes, is what the psalmist is saying. He is the cornerstone. He is the glorious one. He is the sign and the wonder from Exodus. He is the firstborn son slaughtered that we would be set free. I mean, as soon as you, as soon as you open up that sort of theological box, now you, can, you see this thread all the way through. He is the marvelous one. But there's one more New Testament passage that uses Psalm 118, and that's what we're going to do in part three. Part three is this. So what, Jamie? What are the results of this biblical marveling? Let's look at 1 Peter 2. Feels like Bible drill up in here. Y'all know what I'm talking about when I say Bible drill? Is that, am I showing my age on this? <laughs> and then you step forward, page 236. Okay. 1 Peter 2. I'm just going to read this text. I, I love reading the Bible, so I'm just going to read it. I, I love it so much. This is 1 Peter 2. Listen to for Psalm 118 in the text. <clears throat> Peter writes, So put away all malice, all deceit, and envy, and all slander. Like newborn infants, we got a little one in the back, newborn infant. Long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him... Who are we talking about? Jesus. A living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of rumbling and a rock of stumbling, sorry, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. There's a lot going on in this text that I'm not gonna be able to handle. Okay, verse nine. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles 
to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So this text shows us what the results of this marveling are. Number one, builds the church for worship. He says, verse four and five, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. So listen, when we marvel at Jesus, the effect of that marveling corporately is that we are being built up into a house. Y'all hear me? That is one of the effects. It is a primary. Eh. It's one of the effects, okay? I don't want to say primary because I'm not entirely sure which one is the most important. I haven't really thought through it until just now. But we are being built up as we marvel. I'm trying to make this super practical. If you want MCC to be all MCC needs to be, we need to marvel at Jesus. Are y'all hearing me? Like, if we want 2021 to be the year where we do exactly what the Father wants us to do, like exactly, like, like we're following him perfectly, that's going to look like us being built as we marvel at Jesus. That is the purpose of this series, is to build the house. And not just build the house so we look awesome, build the house for the purpose of worship. He says you're being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. That is, a, that is worship language. We're not just some house, right? We're a house of priestly worship to God now. Not, not, this isn't MTV Cribs, some fancy looking house. No, no, it's a house for the purpose of worship. Dennis doesn't build the house. Jamie doesn't build the house. Elders don't build the house. Nobody in here is going to build the house. Jesus builds the house as we marvel at him. The marvelous one. Okay, second result. It leads to mission. Look at verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. That's that worship language again. A holy nation, a people for his own possession. Why? Why, why, why? Why are we chosen? Why are we loved? Why have we received grace? Why are we worshipers? Why, why, why? He says that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We worship, and the effect of that worship is a proclamation to others. He is the marvelous one that you're dying for, literally. The reason we don't share the gospel is because we have not found Jesus marvelous enough yet. The reason, see, see, when I care more about my opinion than the marvelousness of Jesus, then I will not share. Because what if they reject me? What if they think I'm weird? See, I care more about my marvelousness. I'm making up words now, but you know what I'm saying. I care more about my marvelousness than Jesus. You are not saved by the creator of the universe on the cross so that you get to look good. <laughs> we get to make him look good. Okay, I gotta keep going. Third result 
gives us a hunger for the word. Look at verse 2. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Now, there is some argument as to what the milk here is being referred to. So I want to be honest with you. There is some interpretive argument here. The reason I think it means the word of God is because if you look at the previous two verses, the very end of chapter one, he's been talking about the word of God. It says, all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of the grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. By the way, when Peter wrote this, he didn't write chapter two, so there was no separation. <laughs> just, just so we're all clear, there was no separation here. So the end of chapter one and the beginning of chapter two are talking about the same thing, even though it's a different chapter. Y'all, y'all, okay, just make sure. So there is a longing, there is a desire, there is a hunger, it's an imperative command that we would long for this milk, this food, this nourishment. It is, in fact, the presence of God as we encounter the word of God. Listen, what you need more than physical food is God and his word. <laughs> that's, that's the point there. And, and when I don't have a hunger for the word, it's because I am not marveling at Jesus. And I'm saying that with grief because I feel it. I, I feel at times where I don't want to read the Bible. And it could be just me. I don't think so. And in those moments, the reason I'm bored and the reason I'm like, oh, let's play video games, is because I'm not marveling in Jesus. Because if I saw him in all of his glory, I'd be like, let's see what else is happening. <laughs> marveling at Jesus gives me a hunger for him in the word. That is a result of this marveling. Okay, I'm gonna keep going. Fourth, marveling changes us to be like Christ. The whole context of this command is sanctification. Peter says in verse one, put away malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander, and then go for the, the long for the milk, right? So he's talking about sanctification. He's talking about behavior. He's talking about Christ-likeness. It's about how we behave and become like Christ. Verse 11 and 12 is the same thing. Abstain from the passions of the flesh. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. It's a behavior. Listen, I'm trying to be super practical here. You want to grow in sanctification, you marvel at Jesus. Paul says it in 2 Corinthians. One of my favorite passages, this transformed my complete understanding of my Christian walk. 2 Corinthians 3.18 it's talking about the transfiguration, about Moses. It says, and we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord. So we're marveling at the Lord. We, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this is from the Lord who is the Spirit. So the process of sanctification by which I become more and more like Christ looks like me marveling at Jesus and partnering with the Holy Spirit to look more and more like what I'm marveling. That is what the Christian growth life looks like. You want to grow as a Christian? 2 Corinthians 3.18 says this, stare at Jesus, marvel at him, and partner with the Holy Spirit. What in my life doesn't look like that? Oh, it's that? Put it to death. 
This is how it works. I look at him, I partner with the Holy Spirit, and the Father and the Spirit make me like him, Jesus. Fifth, marveling changes our appreciation for heroes around us. Listen, there are heroes around us. There are men and women who have served in our military who are heroes. I don't want to minimize that in any way. But it helps us to appreciate them in line with the real hero, Jesus. Biblical marveling helps us to understand there are heroes, yes, and he is the greatest of them. And he is the decisively, infinitely greater hero around us. And the reason I make this point, remember what, remember what the king says in Psalm 118? Better to trust in the Lord than in princes. Better to trust in the Lord than in warriors. He's not, he's, not, he's not denigrating those warriors and those princes. He's saying it's better to trust in the Lord for victory than it is even heroes around us. Finally, marveling prepares us for eternity. Listen, the psalmist writes, this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. This is marvelous in our eyes. Listen, there is coming a day when when we say those words, we will no longer be looking forward to something. We will say those words before Jesus in eternity and they will be final. Y'all hear me? Like right now when we worship, when we sing and when we worship God, it is not wholly complete yet because we're not seeing him face to face and become like him as he is. Like even right now, we're about to start to worship. Even right now, our worship, like if, 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 if that's like full on, 100% of my heart is after him, right? Right now, it's like here. It's awesome, but it's like here. The level of our marveling is like here. Now, I asked the Father, Father, would you, I want to see you more. I want to glory more. I want to show me your glory. I want to get as close as I can. But infinite, perfect, righteous worship will not happen fully and completely with all of me and all of you until we see him face to face. And in that moment, we're going to say, this is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. And we will not tire of worshiping him. We tire now, but then we will not. And we will say, this is the Lord's doing. This is the victorious one. There's palm branches coming in eternity. Worthy is the lamb who was slain. This is the marvelous one for all of eternity. Glory, Lord. Woo! So, a couple of discussion questions. Um, and we're going to discuss these in small groups this week. So, these will be, I'm, I'm not going to take a lot of time here. I'm just going to kind of read them off. But here are some questions to consider in small groups this week about this attribute. Number one, what does come into my mind when I think about God? Two, well, I did make up that word, okay. Does the marvelousness of God affect my daily life? 
Why or why not? And by the way, small group leaders, I'll email you this PowerPoint so you'll have it. How has God delivered me in the past? What is he doing in my present? What one thing can I do this week to respond to this marvelous God? How will I worship him this week? And to whom am I declaring his excellencies around me? I'm going to invite the band up. I'm going to give us space to just worship, to respond to this marvelous God. And I encourage you, think through as we sing and as we worship, if your heart is cold and you're like, I'm not marveling. I'm not marveling right now. There's no marvel, (laughs) right? Ask the Holy Spirit to ignite marveling in you. And as we sing, I invite you and I encourage you, think back over those moments in your life that the Lord has delivered you. Frankly, the fact that we're in 2021 is a huge deliverance in and of itself, right? His mercies are new every morning and every year, thank God. But to think through the deliverances of the past, what he's doing now in your heart, in the present, and looking forward to what he will do in the future. Let me pray. Let's stand, and I'm going to pray, and we're going to worship. Father, we come before you, and we thank you. We thank you for the way you have written your word, the Old and New Testament. We thank you that you are the marvelous God. Thank you that you have created us, you have redeemed us, you have called us to yourself. And you are building this place as a spiritual house of worship to you and of proclamation to the nations. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all peoples. So Holy Spirit, come. I ask for my own heart, even right now. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would ignite a zeal for Jesus. I ask for my brothers and sisters, would you ignite a zeal for Jesus and that hunger, that we would be like newborn babies, hungering and desiring the very presence of God and the word of God. Would you do that, Holy Spirit? And Jesus, we honor you in this place, and we lift our hearts and our voices and our minds in worship to you. And all God's people said... Amen.